news coming to you from the uh, sports library and spirituality library also in the uh, comfy Verona apartment of mine. And what a beautiful day again. So anyways, what we're going to be doing today is reading out of the big book. And uh, it's one of my favorite stories. Um, it's on in chapter... Uh, it's a chapter, it's the ninth story, and uh, called Keys to the Kingdom. This book is the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous big book. And what it is, is this 2001 would be, be the uh, copyright date. And it would be the uh, number four, the fourth edition of the big book. So, all that said, let's move on. Chapter 9, Keys to the Kingdom. This worldly lady helped to develop AA in Chicago and then thus passed her keys to many. Well, more than 15 years ago, through a long and calamitous series of shattering experiences, I found myself being helplessly propelled toward total destruction. I was without power to change the course my life had taken. How I had, how I had arrived at this tragic impasse, I could not have explained to anyone. I was 33 years old and my life was spent. I was caught in a cycle of alcohol and sedation that was proving inescapable and consciousness had become intolerable. I was a product of the post-war prohibition era of the Roaring Twenties. That age of the flapper and the it the age of the flapper and the it girl speakeasies and the hip blast boyish Bob drugstore cowboy John Held Jr. and F. Scott Fitzgerald, all genuine, all generously sprinkled with a uh, patent suede suede sophistication. Wow. Okay, that's a big one. To be sure, this had been a it's been a dizzy and confused interval, but most everyone else I know had emerged from it with both feet on the ground and a fair amount of adult maturity. Nor could I blame my dilemma on my childhood environment. I couldn't have chosen more loving and conscientious, conscious parents. <laughs> I, was, I was given every advantage in a smaller home. I had the best schools, summer camps, resort vacations, and travel. Every reasonable desire was possible of attainment for me. I was strong and healthy and quite athletic. I experienced some pleasures of social drinking when I was 16. I definitely liked everything about alcohol, the taste, the effects. And I realize now that a drunk did something for me. A drink did something for me or to me that was different from the way it affected others. It wasn't long before any party with all drinks was a dud for me. I was married at 20, had two children and was 
divorced at 23. My broken home and broken heart tanned my smoldering self-pity into a fair-sized bonfire. This kept me well supplied with reasons for having another drink and then another. At 25, I had developed an alcoholic problem. I had began making the rounds of the doctors in the hope that one of them might find some cure for me. Some cure for my accumulating ailments. Preferably something that could be removed surgically. Of course, the doctors found nothing. Just an unstable woman, just an unstable woman, undisciplined, poorly adjusted, and filled with nameless fears. Most of them prescribed sedatives and advised rest and moderation. <laughs> Between the ages of 25 and 30, I tried everything. I moved a thousand miles away from home to Chicago and a new environment. I studied art. I desperately endeavored to create an interest in many things, in a new place among new people. Nothing worked. My drinking habits increased in spite of my struggle for control. I tried the beer diet, wine diet, timing, measuring, spacing of drinks. I tried them, mixed, unmixed, drinking only when happy, only when depressed. And still by the time I was 30 years old, I was being pushed around by a compulsion to drink that was completely beyond my control. I couldn't stop drinking. Would, I would hang on to the sobriety for short intervals, but always there would become the tide of an O-ring necessity to drink. And as I was engulfed in it, I felt a sure, such a sense of panic that I really believed I would die if I didn't get that drink inside. Needless to say, this was not pleasurable drinking. I had long since given up on any pretense of the social cocktail hour. This was drinking in sheer desperation, alone. A lock behind my own door, alone in relative safety of my home, because I knew I dare not risk danger of blacking out in some public place or at the wheel of my car. I can no longer gauge for my content. I can no longer gauge my capacity. It might be the second or tenth drink that would erase my consciousness. The next three years saw me in sanitariums. A 10-day coma from which I was very nearly did not recover. And in all the hospitals, confined at home with day and night nurses. But now I wanted to be, but now I wanted to die, but lost the courage even to take my life. I was strapped, I was trapped, I should say. And for the life of me, I did not know how or why this had happened to me. And while in the wild, my fear fed a growing conviction that before long, it would be necessary for me to be put away in some institution. People don't, people just behave this way outside of an asylum. I had heart, heart sickness, shame, fear bordering on panic. 
No complete escape any longer except an oblivion. Certainly now anyone would have agreed that only a miracle could prevent my final breakdown. But how does one get a prescription for a miracle? For about one year prior to the, this time, there was one doctor who had continued to struggle with me. He tried everything from having me attend daily mass at 6 a.m. to performing the most menial labor for his charity patients. Why he bothered with me as long as he did, I shall never know. For he knew there was no answer for me in medicine. And he, like all doctors of this day, had been taught that the alcoholic was incurable and should be ignored. Doctors were advised to attend patients who would benefit who would be benefited by medicine. With the alcoholics, they could only give temporary relief. And in the last, in the last stages, not even that. It was a waste of the doctor's time and the patient's money. Nevertheless, there was a there were a few doctors who saw alcoholism as a disease and felt that too alcoholic was a victim and felt that the alcoholic was a victim of something over which he had no control. They had lunch that there must be an answer for these apparently hopeless ones somewhere. Fortunately for me, that my doctor was one of the enlightened. And then in the spring of 1939, a very remarkable book was rolled off a uh, New York press with the title Alcoholics Anonymous. However, due to financial difficulties, the whole printing was for a while. For a while, I held up and the book received no publicity, nor, of course, was it available in the stores, even if one knew it existed. But somehow my good doctor heard of this book, and he also learned a little bit about my people responsible for its publication. He sent to New York for a copy, and after reading it, he tucked it under his arm and called on me. That call marked a turning point of my life. Until now, I had never been told that I was an alcoholic. Few doctors would tell a poor, a hopeless patient that there is no answer for him or for her. But this day, my doctor gave it to me straight and said, people like People like you are pretty well known to the medical profession. Every doctor gets his quota of alcoholic patients. Some of us have struggled with these people because we know that they are really very, very sick. But we also know that short of some miracle, we are not going to help them except temporarily. And that they will inevitably get worse and worse until one of the one of the two things happens. Either they die of acute alcoholism or they develop wet brains and have to be put away permanently. Well you know, the thing I've come across is that it seems like our uh, alcoholism 
has become more and more of a uh, become more and more of a finding for the uh, for doctors, and they're starting to understand things. Thing is, is that you know, without uh, without being open to being learning about alcoholism, the doctors are not going to be uh, are going to misprescribe it, and they're going to miss the boat. And sometimes people need to be told to say, "Hey, you know, you got a drinking problem. We think you're alcoholic, and uh, you know, you should start trying to attend those meetings." up on the hill or down the river or wherever. But uh, that's the thing is, is that we need, I hope maybe fun, comes a day where, you know, there's a time where people could get a little bit, people get a little bit more uh, positive and uh, they're finding their steps towards getting people in the program that, you know, are getting people to us, the people that are in the program, to make, to make them say, hey, you know, if you want to help with the alcoholism, we can help you. But uh, that's the thing I find with detox, too, is that's what, it's, what, it's good to have a good detox in your home. Not your hometown, thank you. He further explained that alcohol was no, was no respecter of sex, or a background, but that most of the alcoholics he had encountered had better than average minds and abilities. He said the alcoholics seemed to possess a negative acuteness and actually excelled in their fields, regardless of environmental or educational advantages. We, we watched the alcoholic performing in a position of responsibility. And we know that because he is alcoholic heavily and daily, he has cut his capacities by 50%. And still he seems to be able to do a satisfactory job. We wonder how much further this man could go if his alcoholic problem could be removed and he could throw 100% of his abilities into action. But of course, he continued eventually as the alcoholic loses all of his capacities as his disease gets progressively worse. And this is a tragedy that is painful to watch. The disintegration of a sound mind and body. Benny told me there was, there was a handful of people in Akron and New York who had worked out at a techni technique for arresting their alcoholism. He, he asked me to read the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and then he wanted to talk to him with a man. He wanted me to talk with a man who was experiencing success with his own arrestment. This man could tell. This man could tell me more. I stayed up all night reading that book. For me, it was a wonderful experience. It explained so much I had not understood about myself, and the best of all, it promised recovery if I would do for a few simple things, be willing to have a desire to drink removed. Here was hope. Maybe I could find my way out of this agonizing existence. 
Perhaps I could find freedom and peace and be able to once again to call my soul my own. The next day I received a visit from Mr. T, a recovered alcoholic. I don't know what sort of person I was expecting. I was very agreeable, agreeably surprised to find Mr. T a poised, intelligent, well-groomed, mannered gentleman. I was immediately impressed with his graciousness and charm. He put me at ease with his first few words. Looking at him, I found it hard to believe he had ever been as, as I was then. However, as he unfolded his story for me, I could not help but believe him, but believe him. In describing his suffering, his fears, his many years of groping for some answers, for some answer to that, which always seemed to be made unanswerable. He could have been describing me, and nothing short of experience and knowledge could have afforded him that much insight. He had been dry for two and a half years and had been maintaining his contact with the group of recovered alcoholics in Akron. Contact with this group was extremely important to him. He told me that eventually he hoped such a group would develop in Chicago area, but that so far this had not been started. He thought it would be helpful for me to visit the Akron group and meet many like himself. But this time, with the doctor's explanations, the relative revelations, the revelations contained in this book and hope inspiring interview with Mr. T, I was ready and willing to go to the ends of the earth. If that was what it took for me to find what those people had. So I went to Akron, also to Cleveland, and I met more recovered alcoholics. I suppose in those people had a quality of peace and serenity that I know I must have for myself. Not only were they at peace with themselves, but they were getting a kick out of them they're going to kick out a life such as one seldom encounters. Except in the very young, they seem to have all the ingredients for successful living. Philosophy, faith, a sense of humor. They could laugh at themselves. Clear-cut objectivities, appreciation, and most especially appreciation and sympathetic understanding for their fellow men. Nothing in their lives took precedence over their response to call for help. Call for help from alcoholic in need. They would travel and stay up all night with someone they had never laid eyes on before and think nothing of it. Far from expecting praise for their deeds, they claimed the performance a privilege and insisted that they invariably received more than they gave. Extraordinary people. I didn't dare hope. I might find for myself all that these people had found. But if I acquired, if I could acquire a small part of their intriguing quality of living and sobriety, that would be enough. Shortly after I returned to Chicago, 
My doctor, encouraged by the results of my contact with AA, sent us two or more of his alcoholic patients. By the latter part of September of 1939, we had a nucleus of six and held our first official group meeting. A little tough pullback to getting tough. So I had a tough pullback to normal good health. It had been so many years since I had not relied on some artificial crutch, either alcohol or sedatives. Like going of every letting go of everything out at once was both painful and terrifying. I could never have accomplished this alone. It took the help, understanding, and wonderful companionship that was given so freely to me by my ex-Alki friends. It's in the program of recovery embroiled, embodied, sorry, embodied in the 12 steps. In learning to practice these steps in my daily living, I began to acquire faith and a philosophy to live by. Whole new vistas were opened up for me. New avenues of experience to be explored. And life began to take on a color and interest. In time, I found myself looking forward to each new day with pleasurable anticipation. It is not a plan for recovery that can be finished and day done with. It is a way of life. And the challenge contained in its principles is great enough to keep any living human being striving for as long as he lives. We do not, cannot outgrow this, outgrow this plant. As arrested alcoholics, we have been, we must have pro programmed for living that allows for limitless expansion. Keeping one foot in front of the other is essential for maintaining our restment. Others may idle in retro, retrogressive groove without too much danger, but retro, retrogression can spell death for us. However, this, is not, this isn't as rough as it sounds. If we do become grateful for the necessity that makes us total, that makes us total one. We find that we are compensated for a consistent effort by the countless dividends we receive. A complete change takes place in our approach to life. Where we used to run from responsibility, we find ourselves accepting it with gratitude that we can successfully shoulder it. Instead of wanting to escape some perplexing problem, we experience the thrill of a challenge and the opportunity it affords for another application of AA techniques. And we find ourselves tackling it with surprising vigor. All right, let's see a drink here, okay. So what's going on is that, I like this story because of the, uh,
explains everything so well what we go through when we first get sober how this uh how this program works and you know when we stop drinking colors don't mean anything but when we stop drinking and we start to get sober then the conviviality of colors picks up like you'll notice the fall colors and stuff like that it's beautiful the last 15 years of my life have been rich and meaningful i've had my share of problems heartaches and disappointments because that is life but also i have grown a great deal of joy and a peace that is handmade of any inner freedom i have a wealth of friends and with my aa friends and an unusual quality of fellowship for to, to these people i am truly related first though mutual pain and despair and later through mutual objection objectives and newfound faith and hope and as the years go by working together sharing our experiences one with one another and also sharing the that mutual trust understanding and love without strings without obligation we acquire relationships that are unique and priceless there is no more there's no more aloneness with that awful egg so deep in the heart of every alcoholic that nothing before could ever reach it that egg is gone never need return again now there is a sense of belonging of being wanted and needed and loved in return for a good but return for a bottle and a hangover we have given the keys of the kingdom Love that story. Um, you know, it took a lot of effort for that lady too, because she had travel. You know, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Akron. She's at Cleveland and Akron, and um, I think she was in Chicago, where she was. You know, and, and I'm sure she wasn't. Uh, she wasn't given a, a wrong trip airplane flight either. So she <laughs> traveling back then was not easy. 1939. And, uh, you know, for me, it, it became a, it became, it was not, it's, it's not easy when you live all in the country, but I live right by the city of Madison, Wisconsin. And, uh, there's so many alcoholic alcoholic anonymous groups you know even back when i, I came to the program in 1996 and uh that was the thing was is that when i felt i needed help i felt if i needed a ride for somebody people would come and get me they'd go out of their way and um you know and that was the thing was is that I made such beautiful friends that way. I know, you know, and if you don't think you're going to make beautiful friends, just try, keep trying, keep working at it. And, uh, you know, and, and use, use the program for friends. That's just, there's other people in the program that, you know, they, they come in and they don't, they don't get to know people in the program and they just go right back out and drink. 
But one of the things it does, though, too, is that you become a better friend for everyone, for people that aren't in the program, for people that aren't in the, uh, for people that aren't in the fellowship. You know, and it just seems to me that, you know, you're more trustworthy, you're more, you chase, you tell someone you're going to be there at 7 o'clock, you're there at 7, you know, and, you know, and that's the thing for me is that I've been able to take accountability for myself. And, um, and that's the thing is that, you know, I sort of see other people doing the same thing. We become more accountable. And, uh, you know, and, and that's the thing with that, that I've had the uh, opportunity to grow in and not be so, uh, not be so damn defiant. I don't know, I love that word defiant, but anyways, but that's what's been going, that's what I've learned in, I've been in AA in 26 years and, um, great story. Anyways, I was going to say that if, you know, if nobody else has told you they love you today, I do. And I think each and every one of you with the power of love. It's Todd coming to you. It's Todd from the, uh, from the podcast, and I'm just asking for to give us a five star review and to hopefully you like this podcast because I hope you give us a five star review, but also uh, if you could give us a five star on the Twitter too. We're on Twitter, we're on uh, WordPress, so if you could give us good reviews on that, we would really, really appreciate it. Thanks.